Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out about our organization at action22.org. Now, here are your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Making Action Happen. I'm Sarah Blackhurst. And I am Brian D. McCain. Have we said what my middle? Yeah, we did. Brian Dean McCain. It's Delaware. There you go. Oh. Um, it, or Dwight. We don't know. I like Delaware. We're having, I, I like know, that. right? Isn't that yeah. a great middle name? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we have uh, returning to the show with us today the nicest man in Colorado politics, uh, the state treasurer, Mr. Dave Young. Um, and for those of you who don't know Dave, he is an educator by trade. And he's done everything from middle school all the way up to uh, college. He's a professor. And so uh, all the stuff that he does is uh, – He's got a heart for the state of Colorado, first of all, and he's always trying to do um, new and innovative things on on that side of it to try to keep up with the pressures of of that office in particular because everything is about funding in Colorado, absolutely everything, and so you get a lot of stuff uh, that you may not necessarily think is the treasurer's job, but it doesn't matter. They're still going to throw it at you. So, Dave, thanks for being back with us. We appreciate it. Thanks for inviting you're me, such a great friend to Action. love to be here. Oh, yeah. you're such a great friend to and, Action 22. We appreciate you. And I, I have to bring something up. So before we came down here to record this, we were talking about a group that I met with that's involved with energy and the transition of, you know, old versus new and all that. Um, you brought up a really good point that Colorado is the model for this um, transition of the energy, the future of energy of mm-hmm. the country and Mm -hmm. the world. Um, But you also said like, man, you know, we just need to work together as Coloradoans. And I think we can, and I think it's going that way. And I appreciate that when you said that, because that's what I see too, that we just come together as Coloradoans. Doesn't matter your background, political party, whatever. We've done that as a state over years and and we can do that again. And uh, we may be the first state in the nation if we actually perfect that, that puts us in the limelight once again. Uh, We'll talk a little bit more about infrastructure as we get into this, but uh, yeah, we've got this great opportunity and there's a lot of political divisiveness and, you know, a lot of lawsuits and, and across the country. But if yeah. we are a state that actually says, wait a minute, let's all work together and let's figure this out. Uh, we're going to be in the front of the line for opportunity. And I, I always bring up that when it comes to the federal side of things specifically, we'll just point at water. Um, our delegation in Colorado has always been on the same page when it comes to water and Colorado in general. And, you know, in the the media and everything you see today where it's like, you know, Republican versus Democrat, we hate you, we hate you, blah. Colorado has always come together when it comes to these very important issues for the people of Colorado, traditionally. yeah. And, you know, I I come from Weld County, Greeley, and water's a big issue up there as well. So uh, it doesn't matter where you go in the state, it's on everybody's radar screen. Mm -hmm. And when I talked about infrastructure, that is part of what we're working on, is how do we actually improve our infrastructure and bring water into the state and new technologies that will help us conserve and store so that we can actually uh, live up to the dream of having yeah. enough water for everybody, yeah, including yeah. agriculture. Yeah, yeah, right. and and always it seems the arguments aren't about the big picture. It's just about some of the minute details. You right. know, that's where we kind of fight more. Right. It's just these little details, but 
as a whole, we're kind of all on the same page when it comes to it. Well, I would hope so. Yeah. I, yeah. I agree with you. So one of the things that's pretty amazing, and we don't have this with everybody, but we put out the announcement that you were coming, and uh, they must already know that you're willing to ask some questions because we started getting some questions in that people yeah. wanted to have. And so we wanted to share that on the show and and talk a few of, of those things out. So um, I'm going to start with one, and then Brian has one after that. Uh, well, let's do it. Let's let's have um, the treasurer give kind of an update what oh, you're working yeah. on first. Let's, let's do that. You're right. You well, some sure. Cool stuff. There's some. Yeah, we have a lot of activity on. happening. Um, you know, I'm very briefly just going to name a few of the projects that we're working on. Won't go into great detail, yeah. but if you want to pursue those, I'm. <laughs> you're going to have to give me the hook because I get wound up on these things. I really love what no, we're doing. For sure. And you know, we we take care of the taxpayer dollars. That's the number one thing is the security of of the taxpayer dollars. And so there's a lot of uh, minute by minute daily grind that we are attending to, particularly when the economy is uh, is roiling as it is, um, you know, we have to really pay attention to that. The good news is your money is safe. Uh, we're doing our work well. We're uh, managing cash flow. We're managing investments. Um, and we have the great Colorado payback. Right. Uh, we also manage uh, issuance of financing for big projects as well, uh, transportation and the like, which fits in with the infrastructure conversation. But on top of that, um, I'm, we've taken the opportunity to launch some big programs. So one is uh, a, a little bit narrower around property tax. It's a property tax deferral program. It's not the homestead exemption. Mm-hmm. The exemption is you're excused from paying part of your property taxes. The deferral is you can defer or wait till later to pay your your property taxes, but you will have to pay interest when you pay it back. Mm. So uh, we know people are pretty concerned about property taxes now that they've got their assessed valuations. Or uh, You still haven't gotten your property tax bill. That won't come until January. So there's a lot of speculation of what's really going to happen. But we have a, this safety valve program called a property tax deferral program that gives people an opportunity, if they're really in a financial pinch, to defer paying their property tax. And I think about seniors that mm-hmm. you know may, may be in danger of losing their house, or they're paying their mortgage and they're paying their property taxes, but now they're not buying groceries and they're not buying right. their medicines. And you know, if, if a situation like that is happening, we do have to have a safety valve to make sure people, you know, stay healthy and, and safe. So uh, this is what that that's very it's pretty narrow. It's not um, a large program, but it may get a lot more attention. We had about 400 people uh, originally that was uh, that were in this program and accessing it. And uh, when the legislature expanded this, not just to seniors and active military, but to all property taxpayers, a study that we did indicated it could go as high as 35,000. Wow. So that's a huge jump and we've made some efforts to actually implement technology to make sure this works well for people so that's one um Probably the biggest one that's happening right now uh, is the uh, launch of the Colorado Secure Savings Program. Yes. And yeah. I've talked about this a few times when I've been on the show. We talked about it's coming. <laughs> we're going to launch it. Well, we launched it in January. And uh, we're having a fabulous time getting this thing up and running. A, a small team of four people. Uh, it's a public-private partnership. So we mm-hmm. work with a record keeper called Vestwell. That's who we contracted with after we did a full a procurement process. Uh, they have a custodial bank uh, called uh, BNY Mellon. You may have heard of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, you know, we have uh, enlisted the support of, of big private um, partners that can help us execute on this. I chair a board that's a fiduciary for this program. 
but it's in response to the fact that we have a million people in the private sector that don't have a way to save for retirement at work. And this is heartbreaking to me when you think about somebody who contributes, they work hard, they're probably working at a low to moderate income job, but they're contributing to our society and then they get to retirement age and all of a sudden they're going to end up in poverty because Social Security is not enough to sustain them. And so we we think the Colorado Secure Savings Program actually helps because uh, it is an auto (laughs) auto IRA Uh, opt-out program. So auto means they're automatically enrolled into it. Businesses are required if they don't have a retirement savings program to enroll their employees in it. It's an IRA. So that's a Roth IRA. So that's appropriate for low to moderate income savers. And it's an opt-out. So once they're in it, if they don't want to be in it, it's still voluntary for them, but they can opt out. So we launched this in January. We've been notifying businesses, uh, no real cost to the business to actually uh, enroll their employees. They go to uh, coloradosecuresavings.com. They'll get an email. They'll get an access code in order to be able to go in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's some administrative time. I've watched businesses uh, do this. It takes about 15, 20 minutes to get go through the process and get their roster up there. And then, um, you know, as soon as they run payroll – uh, with that roster in there, then the deductions come out to Vestwell. Vestwell tracks all those to make sure that the accounting is done right. And then it's invested by uh, two fund managers that we went through a procurement process, BlackRock and State Street, who actually helped them get a better return on investment than just parking it in a savings right. account. Yeah, And so uh, we're really excited. We've got uh, thousands. Uh, what's, what's the number? What are the numbers again, Sheena? So uh, off camera, we have uh, one of um, Dave's advisors. Would you introduce her? Sheena Cotty, who is the communications director for the Treasury and uh, PIO. And so uh, Sheena's, uh, I'm going to look over to her every now and then when I need <laughs> yep. latest numbers. But, uh, you know, cause so this our, is evolving. our viewers aren't like, wait, what was that? Yeah, where is that voice? But yeah. I mean, this is, uh, is evolving as we speak. I mean, businesses are signing uh, their employees up, employees are getting payroll run, they're getting these uh, accounts started. And the beauty of this is um, the behavioral economics. So in the past, people say, well, why didn't you get started? Is because it's so confusing for people. Yeah. They look yeah. at the terminology and the yes. acronyms, and they don't know what's a good deal and what isn't. They just don't have a way to get started. And then, um, you know, they don't know what what really to do with that. So they get into a yeah. little bit of paralysis, and it doesn't work for them. And then, you know, if, they're, if they work for a company that has a, a retirement savings program, they're not required, the business is not required to be part of this. They're, mm-hmm. they're uh, that was the ex- next exempted. question, right? Yeah, yeah, we actually get a federal filing. We know who has uh, an eligible retirement program, and we don't even reach out to those businesses. They're doing uh, they're their doing work that. already, and we appreciate that. So we're not going to overrun that as well. But the account is the employee's. So what's the beauty of this is it's not tagged to the business. It doesn't make the business owner a fiduciary. They don't have to put all the legal time in and financial yeah. time in order to set the thing up. And the account travels with the employee. So if the it's portable. And so if they move to another job, then they, in fact, uh, have that account just travels right with them. And they just pick up right away doing payroll deduction. Again. And their account is attached to their Social Security number? Right. 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 And I, I have a question. Yeah. I have a question about that. So um, when in my previous life, when we we're on financial services, mm-hmm. uh, federal, um, one big thing that 
we tried to do was to have some financial literacy <laughs> workshops, you yep. know, and, and we started to go into high schools and try to, right. try to talk to high schoolers about, you know, retirement accounts. How'd that and go stuff. for you? Um, it, I mean, you could imagine. <laughs> no, I've been there. I <laughs> <Yeah>. know. <laughs> but, but I mean, we had, we had, you know, one. I taught junior high. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it was funny. And it, and it was here in Pueblo at central. It was like one kid was like, well, I'm looking to invest my money in this. And like, what's the difference between this? And like, everybody was like, how old are you? Who are you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But come with me. <laughs> but I, I think that that would be kind of a great program. And I, I don't know if the, the, treasurer's office can do this, but maybe some financial literacy mm-hmm. for people that are entering the workforce. So, you know, you're looking at like e- even college level, like I'd love to see this in college, um, but entering the workforce, 23, 24, you know, I'm not working at a fast food job, just part-time I'm starting my career. Are there programs for people or is there outreach going on for this to kind of educate people on, on their retirement and like why it's important and what you should know? Do well, that's a great question. And it's one top of mind because it's uh, certainly an aspect of secure savings, but it's a bigger topic even beyond retirement savings. I mean, this financial literacy applies to mortgages and yeah. uh, credit card usage and saving for college and all kinds of things. So uh, the legislature passed the bill on secure savings in 2020, and they said in the bill, you will do financial education. They didn't say how or well, how that would look or anything else. Yeah. Fortunately, you have a treasurer who's an educator. So I'm really dialed into this. And one of the things that I think uh, we want to do is we want to make sure that people are smart with the use of their money. So, I, mm-hmm. you know, there are times where people will run into a real snag financially. They'll have a major health crisis that they need funds for. And we don't encourage people to use their retirement savings for for a, a whole variety of things. But sometimes you have no choice. Yeah. And the beauty of a Roth IRA is that you can actually pull that money out, the contributions. Now, the earnings you'll be taxed on. But yeah. the contributions you can pull back out again and utilize if you absolutely have to. But we don't want them pulling them out for a vacation. Yeah. Everybody needs a vacation. It's good for you know self-care to have a vacation, but this is a different kind of scenario. So the good news is we have a great financial education ecosystem in, in the state of Colorado. We have all kinds of nonprofits and other entities that are creating financial education programs. The problem we've discovered is they're not coordinated in their work. So Mm -hmm. instead of start a new program, I think our focus is going to be how do we get all these players to come together and actually produce uh, sources of information for people that are credible, first off, because people want, Mm -hmm. they don't want to be in something and then all of a sudden there's a pitch at the end and they're not sure whether they are getting sold the real deal or the wrong item. This is what caused them to not start in the first place. Yeah. Right. And then the other piece is, is that uh, they just need information at the time they really need it. So teaching mortgages to sophomores in high school, not really your best yeah. use of time. But when somebody wants to buy a house, all of a sudden they become very interested in understanding how mortgages work, and they're ready to learn at that point. So I think yeah. this is what we're trying to get to is how do we create a system that, that actually allows that kind of work. Now, there's um, there's a push across the nation, and I know I've told you I'm very active in the National Association of State Treasurers, yeah. to have a high school graduation requirement of financial literacy. And I, while I think that's good, I'm afraid that, you know, what we do is uh, typically is we set a standard, we have a curriculum, 
A lot of stuff that's in the curriculum isn't relevant to the students. We have a test, multiple choice test at the end. Students are nice. They take the test. They pass the test. And one minute later, they've forgotten everything yeah, that, exactly. that they learned, right? And uh, the real challenge here, and, and I always remind people as an educator, the definition of learning is a change in behavior. Yeah. And you actually have to observe a behavior. So when we take a bubble test, we're not really observing a change in behavior. But what we want to make sure is that they actually change their behaviors when it comes to smart use of their or their finances. And so uh, we want to find a way to uh, get people to agree to open up their financial lives, share with us over a long period of time how they're making their decisions and what impact financial education has on that decision-making and if it made a difference, did they change their behaviors? We don't have to have everybody do that. I mean, we know polling works with a small number of people. If we can get 400 people over a long period of time that agreed to help us understand how they're changing their behaviors, that informs us on that education piece. So we're you got to stop me. I'm going to get wound up. (laughs) I I like that because – it's kind of a challenge, not just in the financial area, but you have this, whether it's veterans, homelessness, housing, you have all these groups working on it and right. everybody wants a solution and the solution, so it seems, is to start something new. Right. And and the challenge specifically with the veterans issues that I've been working with is, no, how do we coordinate everybody that's already exactly working it. on it? Exactly. And, yep. and same thing for housing. I mean, you could right. same thing on this dartboard, issue. you, yeah. you right. know. And so when you figure that out, please let well, me we're know. we're working on it. And, <laughs> so. you know, uh, Phil Weiser's office has an office of, of uh, consumer empowerment. Consumer protection. Financial, oh, financial, financial empowerment. empowerment. This is why I bring Sheena yes. along with me because she remembers we all We appreciate that. you very much. Yes, voice, voice from above. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the, 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 this is really kind of focused on consumer protection yeah. uh, more than anything. But, you know, we bring the uh, how do we actually prevent people from getting into a consumer bind in the first place and yeah. needing a legal remedy? Uh, we still need those legal remedies. But, you know, can we get people can on we a better in track? Front of it? I'll tell you, um, my son uh, – he says he's not. He doesn't like politics. He's not involved, but he always has an opinion. And one of the things that he goes off about a lot is is education. And uh-huh. I said, okay, fine. What would you? What should we be doing different? Because I I thought I was going to trip him up. And he said, first and foremost, is no high schooler should graduate without a financial literacy class, passing a financial literacy class. That should be a requirement mm-hmm. because all of the things that you get into in your twenties you pay for for the rest of your life. Right. Yes. And that's and, and that's one of the things that we don't do well. Um, yes, but you know, I was an educator side. for for 35 years and I've seen all kinds of students that went through my classes with a prescribed curriculum and came out the other end doing just the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> Of what it was that I thought I had taught them to do, you know. And sure. So, no, uh, I mean, I didn't really witness a change in behavior. In some cases, it actually eroded. And so we have to be smart about how we yeah. do this so yeah. that it really no, lands sure. and, and is, is effective. And we know, I mean, I, I taught this at CU Denver. We know how the brain works. We know learning theory. We know how to do this the right way. We just need to act on it. So Absolutely. The military is a perfect example. You'll go through a financial literacy class, and then I've seen people walk out of their financial literacy class and then go to the dealership and buy a Camaro for like 
you know, twenty-seven percent interest for a two thousand five Take out a loan to buy a lottery ticket. Yeah, a bunch of lottery tickets. Yeah, right. No, it's true. It's true. Let's talk a little bit. Let me say one more thing about secure savings. I think it might be interesting to to people that that listen to your podcast, and that is, we are the first nation, a first country, and we're the first state yeah. in the nation to offer a multi-state partnership on retirement savings. And what we did with our fund managers is we wrote in price breaks. So the more money that comes in for these savers, and these are their accounts, this is their money, uh, the fees come down for them. And if we partner for uh, with other states, particularly those oh. that don't have enough savers in the state to launch on their own, they get the benefit of our price breaks but so do our Colorado savers as well. So that brings up how how is the IRS handling this? Like, how does that work? Well, so this is a non-ERISA program. An auto IRA, a Roth IRA is non-ERISA. So uh, this is uh, within the law. We've done everything uh, that we needed to do to make sure that we were doing this right according not only to the state statute that mm-hmm. we passed, but also federal uh, laws and regulations as well. And so... Um, you know, we have partners, and we're about to ink a deal with uh, Maine. We're just days away from oh, okay. from creating that partnership. But we're also talking to Nevada. We're talking to Delaware, which is why I love the middle <laughs> name. Uh, and um, and we were working very closely with New Mexico. They had an active program, but it was a voluntary one, an opt-in mm. program. Oh. And they need to pass a bill to change it to, to an opt-out opt and require people to enroll in order to sync up with what we're doing. But, you know, we think we uh, actually create kind of an interesting situation where you can actually move across state lines and carry your uh, retirement account with you and continue to save. And so particularly with the proximity to to a state like New Mexico or Nevada, that's a pretty pretty big deal. That's a very big deal. Is Arizona in it? No, but we're always happy to entertain uh, conversations. So many, many states now are beginning to go this auto IRA opt-out process. And so we're the first one, the only one that's offering a partnership right now, and we're reaching out as we do that. So that kind of, that we got some questions. We threw it sure. out that you're going to be on, and, and this one's directly related to that. So um, I'll read it. I don't have my reading glasses. Regarding the Colorado Secure Savings Plan for participants that may have been, that may have contributed and were not eligible due to income restrictions, how does the Treasurer's Office plan on dealing with the recharacterization process of contributions that need to be removed from the Roth accounts? What steps are being taken to mitigate that pitfall? Uh, it's a great question and uh, a very informed question, so I appreciate that. And uh, the reality is is that I mentioned that I chair a board, the Colorado Secure Savings Program Board. Uh, the governor appointed the other eight. Yeah, they're all retirement experts. We set the policies, and we also did the hiring of the director and the procurement process for our uh, Vestwell uh, record keeper and uh, for the two fund managers. But we're policy. Um, Vestwell actually is the nuts and bolts um, firm that's handling this. And, and frankly, um, saver privacy is a really a big, important thing. So uh, this is, uh, if somebody's in there and they've maybe exceeded the income limits and they need to redirect their, uh, their um, savings mm-hmm. uh, to a different kind of plan, that's something they will do confidentially with Vestwell. Uh, okay. We're not going to wade into privacy issues that uh, that would force people to do something that is not meant necessarily the financial decision they should make. 
we're advising. We're not, um, you know, making that kind of advisory uh, decision, though, on a case-by-case basis. But that's why we have the contract with Vestwell is that's their job is to, to handle those. And so that's, that's, the re- that's the result. So things like that happen. Typically, I, I think it's going to be rare that we have somebody that uh, is in that kind of program. And frankly, you know, I think what's ultimately going to happen is, is that uh, a lot of the private sector financial firms didn't really cater to this market because the accounts were so small. Right. The fees would be so large, they really couldn't, uh, they couldn't access it. They couldn't make a profit as a financial firm yeah. uh, trying to market these. But, you know, if, they, if a saver builds up a, a, a pretty good amount of money, maybe $10,000, $20,000 in their account, and they want to transfer it over to a, a financial services firm that offers a 401k, I am fine with that. Because yeah. the outcome of this is not our program. The outcome of this is more savers. Right. Because the study, you remember I said, if we don't do something about this, people yeah. are going to be on safety net services. It's an $18 billion tax bill on safety net services over the next 15 years. We can avoid this by getting people to save. Yeah. So that's the goal. Yeah. 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 I, I, I love it. I think it's one of the one of the coolest things you've done. I have you've one little factoid. Okay. I didn't me. dream this up. Okay. <laughs> okay. I didn't dream this up. It's a big team effort, by the way. Sure. It's not just me. Yeah. We got a lot of people working on this. But the original idea came from two think tanks. Really? One was the Heritage Foundation and the other was the Brookings Institute. Really? Wow. Now where do those sit on the political spectrum? Well, <laughs> Heritage is over <laughs> not the right. on this. Yeah. Brookings is over on the left. But they recognize this as not a partisan or political issue. This is an issue of how do we help everybody be sustainable. This is something that uh, lifts everybody up. This program is available to everybody in the state, regardless of political affiliation, regardless of zip code. It's just an effort to li- raise everybody up. And so I, I think this is the kind of work. Uh, I like to do, this is the kind of work I think treasurers across the state, uh, the country like to do, is long-range planning that avoids these long-range collisions and catastrophes that take decades to undo. If we can fix now what gets people on a better path instead of facing a a tax calamity uh, 15 years down the line, we should be doing that. So for the record, anything bad I said about those two institutes, I take back right now, but I can say (laughs) bad stuff about them in the future. (laughs) Well, it's a single individual from each one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They recognize it. So those, so So, I appreciate that. Brian hasn't said anything about those individuals. Not not the specific individuals, but I've said some things about both, both of those on both sites. So while we have time, we need to talk about infrastructure and we need to talk about Gallagher. Absolutely. All right, um, I could do the Gallagher. And climber, the Gallagher. climbers out there, let me just put climbers a, yeah, do climber. a clip, really a, a quick plug, climber-colorado.com. We've just revitalized that whole thing. We've uh, uh, now saved 500 jobs and had a lot of lending going on um, that uh, kind of got stalled during the uh, PPP. Right. Rush. So say, yeah, So because you started this before the pandemic, but um, well, give everybody Well, in response that, to the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so give the... Give everybody the acronym. It's CLIMBER, but it yeah. stands for? Well, we went into a room and thought up a bunch of words mm-hmm. that would produce that acronym, but it's Colorado Loans for inc- Increasing Main Street Business Economic Recovery. But now that the pandemic has passed, I think what we're going to do is use R to stand for resiliency. 
Ooh. Because oh. I think what businesses really need is the opportunity to take uh, take action to thrive and and expand and and grow. And so, climber is well no, positioned. Yep, it's pr- it's and and the, the interest rates went up a little bit because the Fed raised the yeah. interest course, rates, but we're still below market rate. And now that PPP has run its course, we think right. we're well positioned with uh, loans that are you know between four point six and five point one percent. Um, that's still below market rate, and we don't want people accessing lines of credit that are much, uh, much steeper higher. or yeah. their credit cards are dipping into their savings when there's an opportunity like this. So sure. uh, just wanted to put in a plug for that. Uh, and resiliency. Yes, I like that. Absolutely. That's, that's and also the, um, was it the Great Colorado Payback? Yep. So I got my, my um, it's actually easier now because I, I went on initially when, it was started and it was, you know, get this notarized and set it in. Right. And you know what? I didn't do it. I'm sorry. <laughs> but a lot of work. I know. Yeah. And then I, I logged back on and then there was more money in there and it was a direct deposit. It was like 300 bucks. Yeah. And it was like, well, we raised the limit from a hundred to a thousand for notary. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that was like, I literally just e-signed the document, emailed it back and it was like, 14 business days later or not Bing. even that and it hit the account so that's a good one so right. what's the website for that for people colorado.findyourunclaimedproperty.com but you know i was president of all unclaimed property programs two years ago around the world and we actually have a website called missingmoney.com mm. we're about to switch that to missingmoney.gov this is the national association of state treasurers oh, yeah. and there's a map on there and you can actually click colorado and get to our program but you can click other states that people may have lived in uh, other countries and uh, it's not just individuals it's businesses it's nonprofits right. it's yeah. uh, uh, faith-based organizations yeah. that leave and it's money constantly after. updating yes we get money in from uh, that's being held twice a year and so even though you may have checked last year and didn't have any that's what happened to me since, yeah. since then. And, right? and then also like not to be morbid, but you know, um, grandparents, you know, people in sure. your family that had passed away because I saw some of my grandparents names on right. that and, you know, and then my dad's following up with that. So, uh, well, and you know, we asked for quite a bit of information and, and the reason is by statute, we're required to do yeah. deep due diligence to make sure we're sending the money to the right person. Right. Yeah. And so, and I understand people are skeptical at first. It's a dot com. So they're like, well, is this shady yeah. or what is it? But it's legit. And then we asked for things like social security number. They're nervous about that. Rightfully so. I understand that yeah. they should be vigilant because identity theft is a real thing on the other side of the coin we have to have identifying information and in the case of a, a, an error we need to have legal documentation that you are actually yeah. the one designated to receive those funds right. because you know that can get kind of difficult within a family situation as well so you know I, people get frustrated with us but we actually um, want to do our best to make sure we're getting to the right person so also for my dad, I don't think he listens to this, but he wouldn't even cash. A <laughs> I'll gift. call him up. Yeah. He wouldn't even cash. A, <laughs> like I got him a gift certificate for Bass Pro Shop and he's like, I don't do online stuff. They steal all your information. I'm like, it's a okay, $200 gift certificate. So I don't think he cashed that. So hopefully he follows up with what I sent him from that. <laughs> um, so, all right. We have a, have another question that sure. came in. Um, so I'll, I'm just reading this word for word. Democrats got voters in this state to repeal Gallagher Amendment in 2020. Gallagher limited how much valuations for property tax could go up in a given year. We have now seen property taxes go up an average of 38% in the first round of valuation this year. What is the state planning on putting in place to replace the Gallagher? 
interesting conversation. So uh, first off, I you know I'm not going to you know get too partisan here, but it was actually a bipartisan effort yeah. uh, in the legislature, and frankly, it was the business community that was paying four and a half times the property tax that residential homeowners were paying that uh, really provided the funding for a big campaign to remove Gallagher from uh, from the uh, co- uh, the Colorado Constitution. So, you know, that was um, – there was a reason why Gallagher was in there and was voted in in 1982, and that was because property taxes were going up. There was a taxpayer revolt, and people wanted to even this out. Mm-hmm. And uh, now that Gallagher is out – what do we see happening potentially? Maybe property taxes going back up again. Will there be another property tax revolt? I don't know. I'm not the spokesperson for the yes, state. Yeah. Right. So, you know, I can't tell you exactly, you know, what um, individual legislators or the governor or anybody else is planning to do on this. But I will tell you what my opinion is, and that is we need a comprehensive and rational tax policy in this state, and we don't have one right now. Yeah. And the reason is, is because we end up talking about these things in silos. So we talk about only income tax, or we talk about only sales tax, or we talk about property tax in isolation. But in the reality, these things all work together. So if you lower income tax, amazingly, (laughs) the balloon pops out somewhere else with an increase somewhere else. And what we need to do is actually look at these things together. Interestingly, the legislature passed a tax policy task force a couple of years ago, 21 members on that task force. I am one of them, and we are primed and ready to be given by the legislature a task to look at this policy writ large and make some recommendations that the legislature can act on. So I don't have an answer for this. I think the the team working together can come up with some really good solutions. But, you know, we we have a, I've never been a, a, you know, a big fan of Tabor because of the impact that it's had on education funding and services for people with intellectual and de- developmental disabilities mm-hmm. and every other aspect of our budget that I tried to deal with when I was on the Joint Budget Committee. Um, but, you know, people know what they have with Tabor. And if you don't present them with an alternative that says this is a better plan and this is how much you would pay yeah. um, if, you, if we were operating this, um, they're not going to give up what they have. They, at least they know what yeah. they have. But if we present them with something that makes sense, shows them exactly what they would end up paying, I think they would go, wow, okay, that's a better deal. Let's, let's do that. So I have to pause here really quick and let you know that um, most of Coloradans don't know. They have heard of Tabor, but they don't really know what it is. It's the Taxpayer Bill of Rights. One of the key components of the Taxpayer Bill of Rights and what most people who know about it do know is that it is um, a protection from uh, be- for taxpayers that – the legislature, nobody else will um, raise their taxes without their consent. This is unique in the United States. Colorado is the only one that does not trust their legislators to not <laughs> levy additional taxes. So it's the Batman and Joker um, <laughs> dynamic <laughs> that because of that, you know, um, you know, you've got Batman and then you, do you have Batman if you don't have a Joker and do you have a Joker if you don't have a Batman? That's kind of the dynamic and it's very difficult from people 
who are not in the state, and even for Coloradans to understand the dynamics of Tabor. But Gallagher was uh, the best friend cousin of Tabor. And so now that we don't have Gallagher, there's a lot of confusion and a lot of fear. Well, actually, Tabor and Gallagher conflicted greatly. Yeah. yeah. And and Gallagher went in the Constitution in 1982. Tabor came in 10 years later. Right. Yeah. And Gallagher was actually working pretty well. But then it conflicted with Tabor, and then that's when a, a defunding of all of our services began to occur. So for 30 years, I, we've defunded education here in the state of Colorado. We now have the lowest competitive salaries for teachers in the country. Yes. Below Mississippi, and people are just not aware of that. But you, we can't attract and retain people. They're, uh, we need quality instructors to be in front of our students, and uh, you have to pay for that talent. So I, I have uh, I'll do one more question okay. from these because th- this is more of a philosophical question. So just like your viewpoint on it, the, I know this sure. is in purview of the treasurer's office, but oh, you never know. Um, well, I guess it could be. Um, so the state of Colorado was first up to the plate, saying that pot tax collected would be used for parks. We've also done the same for other vice taxes, smoking, gambling, etc. The homeless problem has now gotten much worse since this was implemented. Should we change the vice taxes to go directly to, say, 501c3s grants to solve our homeless problem, or do you think it should stay as it is? Well, you know, I think this is a great uh, discussion and certainly something that um, a legislator uh, could refer a measure on to change either by constitution or by statute what we do with this. Um, I, I do want to correct one thing. When uh, Amendment 64 was passed by the voters in, what was that, 2012, I believe, yeah, I uh, so. that money was directed to school repair and construction. It was mm-hmm. $40 million a year um, and not to parks. So, um, and people, oh, it's for the kids. Well, it really wasn't for operations. It wasn't for teacher salaries or It was for capital projects. It was for capital yeah. projects. The problem is the size of the infrastructure problem for K-12 right now is between 18 and 20 billion. So, I, you know, as a former math teacher, I'd say, all right, here's your word problem. If the problem, if the if the uh, size of the problem is eighteen billion, and you're putting forty million a year to the problem, how long does it forty million <laughs> a year take to fill up an eighteen billion dollar hole? It's like one of those tiny band aids, not even a band aid on yeah. it, but the little. Any guess? Band-aid. How many years does it, it does it take? Are, 40 million are we years? going into depreciation of current? Uh, oh, so <laughs> look at so. you go! Look at you! Wow! Let's just say never in our <laughs> lifetime. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's four hundred and fifty years. Yeah. So I think what happens is is that we we see something, we see a problem, but we don't come up to scale yeah. to to actually provide the funding to solve that, and then people think the problem's solved when in fact it isn't even yeah. close. Which leads me to the big effort that we're working on right now with the Infrastructure Finance Authority. We already have in statute a finance authority for critical needs here in the state of Colorado from two thousand five. It needs to be modernized. It was old Ref D. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've been around long enough to remember, remember that. But Ref yeah. C, Ref D, and Ref D didn't pass, but they set up a public corporation with a board on which the treasurer sits. And what I want to do is modernize that with a lot of stakeholder work that we're doing in our office to include affordable housing, because we know this is a big issue, but it's billions and billions and yeah. billions of dollars in size. Water is another issue. It doesn't make any sense to build affordable housing if you don't have a, a sustainable source of water. You dump all that money into a project to build affordable housing, and then the water runs out in five years, and that's uninhabitable. So, and then energy and broadband. 
Well, and maybe the federal government is helping us with that broadband issue. You know, there's been a pretty sizable amount of money coming in from the Infrastructure Act on broadband. But electrical transmission, um, school con- construction, rural hospitals. Yeah. Yeah. Rural courthouses. I mean, I can go down the list of all the infrastructure that has been eroding. And this is why I talked earlier in the show about the fact that if we could be the first state working together and collaborating on this, um, I know from my work in the treasurer's office around financing that investors want a sure thing. They want to invest their money and they want a return on that investment. They're not going to put an investment into a situation that's politically divisive or lots of lawsuits are flying and their money is not going to get put to good use. So if we as a state are the only state in the nation that are actually collaborating and working together on a very huge, sizable problem and we need capital to come in, if the investors see it's a good bet, we're going to be in the front of the line for that money. So this is, I'm not trying to overrun Chaffa yeah. or any other water right. authority. We want to work together with folks, but we want to actually come up to scale because this example of the, you know, 450 years is a perfect example. Yeah. We just, we haven't come up to scale. Nobody even knows what the size of the affordable housing problem is. No. <laughs> I'm thinking I, we're Japan, north of, no way, yeah. well, I think we're north of, for all of these things, we're north of a hundred billion and we may be approaching a quarter trillion dollars of need. Yeah. You know, we're getting a billion dollars from the federal government. There's no way you're going to invest that to come up to scale. You've got to yeah. attract other capital in to do that. Well, and I think we're primed to do that. Other capital, but as a as building that infrastructure out, not as creating um, revenue sources for the state. Right. No, this is, um, the infrastructure helps us all. Right. Yeah. I mean, businesses rely on this. Uh, communities rely on this. But you can't do these things in isolation. It doesn't make yeah. sense to build affordable housing, and then uh, you end up with people moving in, and now your class sizes are 70 yeah. Yeah. In the face of all the stuff we have. So, yeah, I, you know, this is um, this is to, to fund the things we know we have to do and we haven't been getting done. Right. Right. So we're about at our time, mm-hmm. but I have two things. If you want to what's your last thoughts? What, what do you want people to hear? Close the conversation out. Well, I, you know, I always love coming in and talking with you because you're so knowledgeable. And uh, the uh, response I got from Sarah about the, well, does that uh, count depreciation? It tells me how knowledgeable you are. Uh, and I really do appreciate how you advocate across uh, the state for the counties that are part of Action 22. And uh, it, that voice is needed. Uh, I really do think that we have an opportunity if we actually begin to um, not, um, fall into the divisiveness, but Mm -hmm. actually move forward and say, look, let's listen to each other a little bit and let's find out who's got the good ideas and let's bring those forward. Uh, Those ideas aren't unique to Denver and Boulder. Uh, I'm from Greeley. I have some ideas. I don't have the only ideas. And I know people uh, in the Action 22 area have great ideas as well. And I think we need to be open to bring those ideas together and act on them so that we can actually make Colorado better uh, and have a future for generations to come that, that people can build on. So uh, that's very philosophical, but I, it's true to, I think, your your charge, and it's why I like coming on the show and chatting with you. Well, thanks, Dave. And we always, um, the people that we value the most are the people that show up to have these conversations, and it's it's a little rare, honestly, so we appreciate you so much. You don't have to twist my arm to come to Colorado. I know, I know. Or the southwest corner of the state. <laughs> no, we have a we beautiful don't. state. Every corner of the state is just fabulous. We, I love traveling we the never, state. We never do that, and, and um, 
every time I invite you, you show up. So I, we appreciate that so much. Well, sometimes when you don't invite me, I show up too. So this is totally separate, but something that came up today. So we had an Action 22 member apply for a small business, an SBA loan. Um, they're expanding their business, and uh, they get a letter back or an email from the SBA saying, well, we're not going to give it to you because you're not in compliance because you applied for a loan and you messed it up. They did not apply for a loan, and this was during the COVID times. This is and- yeah. And they kind of, at first I was like, where did this come from? Because there's also fraud on that where people are calling people that apply for these loans saying like, well, you owe this money and then you'll get the loan. And it's not the SBA. Right. I get the email address. It's from an SBA guy. You could find him online that he actually is part of their, their department. And, um, you know, they, they don't know what to do because now their money's held up and it just kind of throws a wrench in everything. Mm-hmm. And dealing with the federal de- government is sometimes difficult and the guy mm. wasn't the nicest it sounds like um, but they went through a congressional office and they're getting it smoothed out and so if Great. that happens um, I, I've always said this utilize your congressional and senate offices they have staff that help you with this because without them even they didn't even think to do that most people don't know that a congressional office or a senate office can help with this but you know they were kind of like do we give up? What, what happens? Mm-hmm. You know, the SBA is telling us to fill out this form and it's going to take this much time. They're going to fix Bing. right now. Nice. So. And you know, that's called constituent services. Yeah. And that's true at every level of government. So whether it's a city council or a county or state uh, senator yep. or house, I mean, you're going to find that kind of service available if you ask. Yeah. You just have to get directed to the right spot and then, um, you know, it happens. At the state level, we, uh, as a representative, I only had one part-time aide, so our constituent services was kind of narrow. Yeah. Uh, we did the best we could, but we also had a an office of constituent services yep. for the legislature that would intervene and help us as well. So, you know, I, that's great advice to people. And, I, yeah. you know, I, a lot of times people don't know what level of government's dealing with what thing. Yeah. So I get a, a call because I do transportation infrastructure and they want the pothole fixed in front of their house. I'm like, well, that's your city council. It's yeah. not the treasurer's <laughs> yeah. office. But, you know, I'm happy to redirect people to the right spot. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's important. And then, I mean, this is going to be up too late, but the PACT Act, the VA extended the registration to that till Monday. So I think this actually might be up Monday. So if you haven't registered or filed an intent to file a claim with the PACT Act with the VA, do it now. It's basically anybody that was deployed from Vietnam up to now. Um, get on that if you haven't already. And even after the deadline, you could still register for it. The VA expanded their coverage on toxic exposure. Um, VA.gov, it's right there. If you go on there, it'll show it. So even if you miss the deadline or you miss the deadline, that doesn't mean it's over. You can still go on and file your claim. Um, This is really important for Vietnam vets that maybe weren't covered with Agent Orange. Um, Burn pits are in this. Mm -hmm. Um, Various areas, including nuclear test sites. You know, you have Guam. Um, I think and few, tell them the others. importance of and how it affects other veterans by going on and, and registering yourself. Yeah. So, um, you know what, the VA, even if you're not receiving services, it's important to register because they're driven by numbers. And the bean counters in Washington, D.C. want to see the numbers. So that funding, again, a lot of veterans feel, I don't want to take away these benefits. I don't need them. You don't even have to receive the benefits. But if you register with the VA, whether it's the medical side, file a claim, anything like that, that actually brings more resources to the people that need them. So please, please, please. I've said this a million times on the show. Like, 
register with your medical clinic, your CBOC, whatever, VA hospital. And also, you know, it, it's you're not taking anything away if you re- go for benefits, file a claim. I am so. fine to pay taxes for people that were willing to put their life on the line. I want to support them in any way I can. So anybody that doesn't want to do that, I, I'll be happy to have a conversation with yeah. them. Yeah. But at the end of the day, that's why I pay taxes is to make sure that we – uh, do uh, honor and support the people that uh, are on the front lines. Yeah, and I, I got in, in an argument with one of my very conservative Republican friends, which, full disclosure, I'm a Republican, um, and he's like, you know, these benefits aren't guaranteed if you served. I'm like, actually, when you sign the dotted line, it says right there that this is provided for the rest of your life and your right. family's life. So, yep. so anybody that thinks that, that's not the truth. That's part of the deal you're making with doing this mm-hmm. um and with that action 22 go ahead <laughs> the the disclosure it's uh making action happen the views and opinions expressed on here do not necessarily represent the official views and opinions by action 22 its board or its members um and in an election season we do not endorse a candidate but we support all of our members and give every candidate the opportunity to come on our show and say what they're about Chad and Worthman, as, I know, and as a member, I'm happy to come on. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Chad Worthman, I know you're listening. I can't remember what you look like, um, so the stalker status is out. And I hope we get to see you sometime soon. Wow! Next time we will. <laughs> he's on a spaceship right now. He's on fighting a spaceship. Aliens. He's, he's, a, he's a space cowboy now. He's tracking so, UFOs or UAPs. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, he won't talk about it, but we should get him in here. Yeah, I know. Have a Whiskey Wednesday with, with Mr. Vorthman and see if we can get him to... We don't want to ruin his security clearance he's going for <laughs> right now. <laughs> we'll see you guys all next time on another episode of Making Action Happen. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain, for another edition of the show on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. This episode of Making Action Happen is sponsored by Action 22's amazing energy leaders. Excel Energy, Colorado Rural Electric Association, Colorado Oil and Gas Association, Gil Romero and the Capital Success Group, Black Hills Energy, Nextera Energy, San Isabel Electric Association, Outshine Energy, Colorado Solar and Storage Association, Tri-State and 174 Power Global. Action 22 is a nonpartisan, membership-driven organization which serves as a voice for action on public policy for 22 southern Colorado counties on the state and federal level. We focus on how issues relating to Colorado legislation, local government affairs, health care, education, and natural resources intersect for the economic health of our region. If you're a leader in your community and are considering joining Action 22, you can get more information by emailing show at action22.org or visit our website at action22.org.